Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our latest weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us in an important week. Many pieces of disturbing information about Obamagate have come out, unmaskings. We've got uh, a federal court judge who is really abusing the rule of law, it looks like, against General Flynn. So I've got a lot to talk about there. And of course, Judicial Watch continues to uphold the rule of law in the face of uh, coronavirus abuses, specifically trying to prevent uh, governors and local governments from spending money they're not able to spend under law to provide cash payments to illegal aliens. Uh, the lawlessness just continues. Uh, but Judicial Watch is in court trying to fight it. And uh, doesn't we have, speaking of lawlessness, a continued fight with Hillary Clinton on her email scandal? Uh, you won't believe the details. We got some major news developments there as well in terms of what the courts are planning to do and what we had to do to try to get more of the truth. Uh, so first up, though, is the uh, rule of law crisis, the constitutional crisis, the Kukabal, Obamagate, Spygate, Pfizergate, you name it. Uh, it is all coming to a head again uh, thanks to something that Judicial Watch has been promoting uh, really, you know, obviously all of our uh, time here, uh, certainly during the, uh, during the entire period of the attacks on then-candidate Trump and now President Trump, uh, transparency. Transparency is key to accountability. And we're seeing it this week where you had the acting ODNI director, the director of the Office of Director of National Security, that, yeah, National Intelligence, excuse me, uh, disclose the names of those senior Obama administration officials who sought to unmask General Flynn from intelligence reports. And the list is just astonishing. The list includes, uh, and he sent the letter disclosing the names to um, uh, two senators, Senator Charles Grassley and Ron Johnson, who have been investigating these issues. Uh, the list includes five unmaskings by Samantha Power, Obama's UN um, ambassador, uh, three unmaskings by James Clapper, who's director of national intelligence. So that was one of Grinnell's predecessors under Obama. You had also, excuse me, my phone, my thing is flipping here. Uh, two unmaskings by John Brennan. And this is, by the way, just one American they're targeting. Uh, Jacob Liu, who is secretary of treasury under Obama. Uh, top Treasury officials, James Comey, of course, the uh, president's national, uh, excuse me, the president's chief of staff, Barack Obama's chief of staff, and last but not least, and of course, there's a whole series of names here. I'm not going to read them all. The vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, amassed General Flynn's name. Each of those unmaskings, to the degree they were improper, and I think almost all of them were, were uh, a violation of, President, of, of General Flynn's rights and an attack 
aren't our constitutional republic. Because all of these unmaskings took place after Trump won, but before he was inaugurated. So in essence, what you had was Obama and his top people. And when I say Obama, I mean it. His chief of staff unmasked Flynn the day, according to Sally Yates, of the Oval Office meeting in which Obama disclosed to Yates that he knew about the conversations that were unmasked here. The conversation evidently that Flynn had with the, the ambassador to Russia. So you had Obama, Joe Biden, all of the top people of the Obama administration spying on the incoming administration. The national security advisor, the incoming national security advisor, General Flynn, had every right to talk to the ambassador to Russia. Every right. It was lawful and it was proper. And they pretended it was something that was not supposed to be done and they used as an excuse to not only spy on him, but spy on countless elders. How do I know that? Because Devin Nunes, who is a hero in this story, who first exposed this unmasking scandal, I think it's now two years ago, has said that this is just the tip of the iceberg. There were other Trump officials that were also unmasked. Trey Gowdy uh, on Fox this week, he said that they were unmasking people on inauguration day. So they're walking out the door and they're still spying on the Trump team. And of course, nothing's been done about this yet. And if you have any question about Obama's involvement, this should answer it. Now, of course, the left immediately went into overdrive to defend the indefensible here. First of all, they start lying about the numbers, pointing to ridiculous, irrelevant numbers about the number of unmaskings that take place every year. Now, what is an unmasking? So our intelligence community spies on foreigners. No surprise. And sometimes in that spying, they pick up the names, uh, uh, either communications from Americans or discussions about Americans. And uh, sometimes that information is necessary to understand what's happening, and that person's name is unmasked. And typically, when reports are given to uh, senior officials of an administration, uh, they are laundered in the sense that you have intelligence professionals looking at the reports, looking at the raw data, and deciding what it is their clients, their customers need to see. So when you have senior officials asking that names be unmasked, they're overriding the judgment of the bureaucracy that they're supposed to be, you know, we're all told they're the experts, right? Now, it doesn't mean they don't have a right to do that, but they have to have a legitimate basis to unmask and, and use this authority to find out what Americans are doing abroad. And the fact is, it's rarely done at the senior level as it's being done here. Uh, Sidney Powell, uh, uh, who is the lawyer, uh, the excellent lawyer for General Flynn, uh, she noted uh, this week that General Flynn, in all of his time, he's a senior, ran the NSA, senior general in the National Security Establishment. Flynn unmasked one person in all of his career. So when you hear that there are thousands of unmaskings, don't you believe it? Because I, I don't know for a fact, but I am reasonably sure, based on my knowledge, that there are few unmaskings done at the senior level.
And to the degree there were a lot done at the senior level, it happened in 2016 and it was probably political. So, so when they talk about unmaskings, they're not telling you who was doing the unmasking. So let's say there were 10,000 unmaskings last year. Well, that, if that was done by the uh, intelligence professionals who are looking at this raw data as it comes in and they're trying to figure out what's up, what's down, before they show it to the bosses, that would be perfectly appropriate. But to have the president of the United States through his chief of staff unmask an American citizen like this of an incoming president, uh, the top senior level, um, a top official of an incoming president and his successor, to have Biden do it seemingly only because uh, this ambassador's phone call showed up in the newspaper. You have to remember also that this, this unmasking also led to illegal leaks of the contents of the call to the Washington Post. So here we have a list of people that John Durham, if he's doing a competent job, would be bringing before a grand jury, including Joe Biden, including the president of the United States, Barack Obama, or the former president of the United States, Barack Obama. I think he's still trying to run the show from, the, from behind the scenes through this attack on Trump, that's for sure. But this is extraordinary, and it shows you how important that transparency is to the rule of law here, at least to accountability, because the State Department had this information, the FBI obviously had this information, all the agencies, Treasury had this information, all the agencies who unmasked Flynn had this information. None of them fessed it up. In fact, we were asking for Samantha Power's uh, uh, unmasking request from the State Department. We sued. And they said they couldn't tell us anything about it, including how many unmasking requests she made, because the news was that she had unmasked hundreds of people. Completely inappropriate. The sheer number suggests something up was something else was going on. And the State Department was covering it up. And and thank you, Ambassador Grinnell, who used to be Ambassador to Germany, who's now stepping in uh, to fill the ODNI slot till. There's a permanent replacement, John Ratcliffe. He's been pushing this information out and it's driving the left crazy. They're saying there he's abusing the system by disclosing abuses of the system. That's the Alice in Wonderland approach that the liberal media and the democratic kookaball, and it is democratic, uh, is, uh, would have you believe. To highlight government abuse is abusive. To expose government misconduct is government misconduct. It's Orwellian. It's absolutely Orwellian. And I know the president's been using the term Obamagate, and I've been, I've been, I think it's an appropriate term. Because, you know, if you've been following Judicial Watch, if you've been following our weekly updates here or, or watching our press releases, you know we knew Obama knew. <laughs> Of course, the media doesn't want anyone to know that, but it goes back again, and I think it's important to remember there was this, December, this January 5th, 2017 meeting at the end of the Obama administration. Biden was there, Comey was there, Susan Rice was there, Obama obviously was there, Sally Yates was there, I think Brennan was there. A top leadership team of the White House, of the administration. And they're talking about the dossier Comey tells Obama, I'm going to confront 
Trump with it tomorrow. He was then president-elect. And Obama's, according to Comey, Trump's, Obama's like, you know, he never really, Comey never discloses anything Trump, uh, Obama says to him. But uh, he said that Obama was like in terms of his physical reaction. Good luck with that. So he had the endorsement of Obama to go and spy on Trump the next day because he wasn't going to give President Trump a defensive briefing on the dossier, allega dossier allegations that they knew was salacious and unverified, yet they went and tried to corner President-elect Trump with it anyway. It was an ambush. So that flowed out of the Obama Oval Office meeting. And as I described previous, Sal Sally Yates disclosed to the Office of uh, Special Counsel, the Mueller Special Counsel operation, by the way, Mueller hid this from us, that um, Obama, to her surprise, brought up the phone call between Flynn and Kislyak and suggested that they were going to withhold information from the incoming White House. And, and, and she wasn't quite sure what was going on. And then she realized it as things progressed because she then she was held over by Trump as acting attorney general that what Obama meant was the Logan Act and it helped explain why Comey was trying to ambush Flynn despite her objections and why Comey didn't want to tell the Trump White House about the supposed concerns they had about what Flynn supposedly was telling the Russian ambassador. So you've got the spy operation against Trump, the ambush interview from uh, against Flynn, all arising from that single Oval Office meeting. It puts Obama at the scene of the crime. He's the head of the conspiracy. And of course, prior to that, you had the text messages where Page and Strzok are talking about how POTUS wants to know everything, the White House wants in on everything. And then of course, President Trump, uh, President Obama, shortly after Trump is elected, uh, orchestrates this uh, intelligence community assessment that smears President Trump as uh, being a beneficiary of a Russian intervention campaign. The Russians wanted him to win. In fact, the evidence was actually the opposite. They were working literally with Hillary Clinton. How does that work, that they want Trump to win if they're working with Hillary Clinton? So it was all part of a smear operation against uh, uh, President-elect Trump, and then in the incoming, uh, and then the new administration with the attack on Flynn. So this is a direct assault on our Republican form of government. It was an assault on the rule of law, and it's seditious. They're trying to destabilize and overthrow the government. It started with Flynn, it metastasized through Mueller, and it resulted in the impeachment. Because part of the impeachment uh, uh, was that they were worried that oh, Trump was asking the wrong questions about what went on during the campaign in terms of the Ukrainian coordination with the Obama-Clinton gang to take out Trump and how Biden may have been a beneficiary of some of these machinations by protecting his son from prosecution or investigation in Ukraine. So that's why in part Trump had to be removed. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's interesting. It's two. There are two issues here. It's Trump. They hate Trump. They wanted to stabilize him. Uh, they want to remove him from power. Uh, and one of the reasons for doing so, besides just the sort of policy differences that they think they can pursue through criminal means, 
uh, is they wanted to protect themselves from prosecution. What better way to freeze the Justice Department and freeze the administration from investigating the type of corruption I'm talking today than to have impeachments, than to have special counsels? That was what was going on. And as I said last week, uh, Judicial Watch has been virtually alone from the beginning in calling them out on it. We knew it was a coup. We knew it was a complete abuse of power by the Justice Department and the FBI, not only in the targeting of Flynn, but later President Trump. And then Devin Nunes starts coming out with information. The left tries to destroy him. Of course, he was right. And uh, and it continues. <laughs> it continues. Just today, I think it's today, Biden said he won't pardon Trump. What does that mean? It means that if Biden is elected, he's going to do this all over again and try to prosecute Trump and his and people around him. It's never going to stop. And in the meantime, this Justice Department has done nothing in terms of legal accountability. For these wild abuses, whether it be FISAgate, whether it be the lies of McCabe and Comey, nothing's been done. Absolutely nothing. And they're running out of time. Maybe there'll be a grand jury panel tomorrow and all the witnesses will come out and they'll have, they'll have an indictment in three weeks of big people. But uh, do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. Per persuade me otherwise. Persuade me otherwise. And now we've got the judiciary involved in it. I mean, I, I have to say, I, I have been shocked by Judge Sullivan. You know, Judge Sullivan, we knew relatively well in terms of court. You know, I've, I've Judge Sullivan um, was the judge in our big case uh, over the Cheney Energy Task Force back in 2003 or so. And he granted us discovery into that task force. He was overruled. That case all the way went all the way to the Supreme Court. So he was, um, he was interested in getting some accountability there uh, during the uh, Clinton email, um, uh, during the Clinton, excuse me, during in 2015 and 16, uh, Judge Sullivan granted Judicial Watch discovery. And it was in 2016 that we were deposing and bringing in all sorts of Clinton email witnesses which resulted in the FBI having to actually do some work because we were showing them up. And it was a major contributing factor in educating the American people, Judge Sullivan's loss, uh, Judge Sullivan's handling of that case and allowing Judicial Watch to get discovery about the Clinton email scandal. One could argue, but for Judge Sullivan allowing us to take discovery that Hillary Clinton would be president. I mean, I also remember, and the Wall Street Journal talked about this today and going through some of Judge Sullivan's, because um, he's a, he's a well-known judge here in D.C. Uh, we were in a fight with the Obama IRS and they were hiding records or refusing, I forget the detail of the fight, but um, the judge issued an order and they weren't complying with the order. And Judge Sullivan threatened to hold the IRS commissioner in contempt, Obama's IRS commissioner and the lawyers. 
And I tell you, I remember uh, you, you remember things like that pretty well because you don't want to be in a courtroom when a federal judge is yelling at someone like that and uh, directing their ire at someone like that. Even if you're not, even if you're not the target, you don't want to be in the courtroom because you never know. <laughs> Maybe the judge is going to get angry at us. And uh, and in terms of prosecutorial misconduct, one of the most famous cases in recent history is the prosecution of Ted Stevens, the senator, late senator now from Alaska, where the the uh, they were caught. The Justice Department was caught hiding ex exculpatory information from Stevens. You know, and 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 Sullivan was rightly furious at that, and and pursued the Justice Department as vigorously as a judge possibly can over that misconduct. So when uh, you get this new information coming out that the FBI and Justice Department withheld exculpatory information from General Flynn's legal defense team in violation of Judge Sullivan's orders, imagine my surprise where when Judge Sullivan says, rather than dropping the case the Justice Department thought shouldn't proceed, obviously because it is prosecutorial misconduct, Judge Sullivan invites a left-leaning judge to come in as, quote, friend of the court to help him to argue, quote, the government's case against Flynn and suggest to him whether or not he should be pursuing criminal charges against Flynn on his own for, quote, perjury. The thinking is that Flynn, in saying he was guilty, was lying. So should be prosecuted because he wanted to withdraw his plea. And he's also setting up a process to invite third-party amici, amicus briefs, friends of the court, it's called. Into the court, into the process. General Flynn, imagine this. Imagine you're facing your questions about your freedom, and the government admits wrongdoing, says they want to drop the case, and the judge says, "Hold on, hold on, no, no, I'm not. I don't want to drop the case. I'm going to bring in someone who, under our Constitution, has no power to prosecute anyone." And I'm going to let them make the case as to why, the, why, why you should go to jail. It's a terrible abuse. And it can't stand. I don't know what the uh, legal team for Flynn is going to do. Maybe the Justice Department will file an immediate appeal. What's going on there? I, I, I don't know what's come over Judge Sullivan. Maybe he's mad that he was gamed by the government. If so, he should be taking it out on the government. If anything, I thought Judge Flynn should do, excuse me, Judge Sullivan should do, he should be um, pursuing criminal contempt proceedings or contempt proceedings against the government for violating his orders. I mean, I think during the Stead Stevens case, he had a magistrate kind of figure out, try to figure out what went on there. That wouldn't be inappropriate. And if he thinks that Judge General Flynn lied in some improper way, and I don't think he did, he can refer to the Justice Department. In our system, judges aren't prosecutors. And as legal commentators have pointed out, 
You had a 9 nothing decision recently out of the Supreme Court. You can look it up. You can Google Flynn and Supreme Court and Sullivan. It will pop up. Judge Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg of all people, he, she excoriated the Ninth Circuit after the parties had basically left for hiring or appointing amicus friends of the court to start arguing the case one way or another. And in that case, it was on behalf of the defendant. It wasn't even before him. In this case, Judge Sullivan wants to put, put a third party in the place of the prosecutor. And by the way, the retired judge that Judge Sullivan wants to appoint or has appointed wrote an op-ed just a few days ago attacking both Flynn, uh, excuse me, both, both Barr and the Trump administration. So he's already decided what judge Sullivan should be able to do. So it isn't like he even is, is invited in a dispassionate observer. I don't know what's come over Judge Sullivan, but the courts, uh, to a degree, uh, uh, either the judge, the Justice Department or General Flynn's lawyers are going to, I hope, immediately file what, a, what is called a writ of mandamus against the court to stop this illicit activity by the court. And uh, this is why the president has to use the pardon power as well. I mean, you have Biden threatening prosecutions. You have uh, a, a court threatening prosecutions completely outside the rule of law, in my review. And um, even if Judge uh, General Flynn gets off on this, uh, he will. He's going to—he's not going to be prosecuted for the crime that he didn't commit. Justice Department doesn't want to prosecute him. You've got the Biden gang who's going to come in if they win and try to prosecute him again. Or who knows what the Justice Department's going to do. So he may, the president may need to wrap this all up with a pardon for not only Flynn, but others. I see Judge uh, Paul Manafort's been let out of jail because of this coronavirus silliness. I don't believe anyone should be let out of jail for that. I, I just don't understand what's happening there, but that's another matter. But the fact is he's been let out of jail like another, a lot of other convicted criminals have been. Uh, Manafort should not have to go back to jail. If I were the president, I would make sure that wouldn't that had, that happened. He gets the pardon or a commutation of his sentence. Roger Stone, I think his delay, his, uh, his case, uh, his, um, Incarceration has been delayed because of the coronavirus as well. Uh, he should be pardoned. You know, everything I'm hearing is that we're going to get more releases of information. And, I, and I'm very proud of Judicial Watch's role in this because this information has been front and center for us. We've been suing for it. We've been pushing the administration aggressively to release this information. And we've had allies on the Hill doing it as well, and obviously friends in the media. You know, we're all supposed, you know, I know the left just looks down at people like Sean Hannity and, and other folks at Fox News. Uh, but Sean Hannity uh, did, did as much as anyone to support the rule of law in this area. And he was righter than right on a lot of these issues. 
but we have got a pending litigation on all of the issues that we're talking about. And uh, some of the litigation that we sued for initially, we couldn't get anywhere. We had to end the cases. We had that happen in the, um, in the unmasking case in the State Department, I believe. So it looks like we're going to have to reopen them or refile them either based on new FOIAs or maybe try to reopen them as they are. I don't know. But I want to go back. General Flynn is a crime victim. Durham should investigate all the people who unmasked him. Those unmaskings on their face were not legitimate. And we need to know more. Now, that being said, this information has been out there for a long time, meaning we haven't had access to it. But as I said, Devin Nunes knew about it. That's why he was so viciously attacked by Schiff and others, because he, he knew what happened. They're trying to take him off the table, remove his piece from the table, and they were not successful. So they've had this information for years and they haven't done anything with it. And let's not be naive to think they're going to start doing anything with it now. This is why I think the Justice Department is so morally bankrupt. FBI, similarly so. And it doesn't mean Barr is a bad guy. It doesn't even mean Ray is a bad guy. It just means institutionally, those agencies have been so corrupted, that their infrastructure is so rotten, they can't be expected to do the heavy lifting and prosecutions like this. This is why the president should appoint, in my view, and you know I could be wrong here, I'm happy to debate it, be persuaded otherwise, a special counsel that directly reports to him and not to the Justice Department. Yeah, maybe he can have Attorney General Barr help supervise him for him. But the fact is, the president should be running the investigation. Because Justice Department is, we're, right now, is being asked to investigate itself. On these FISA gate abuses, who are they going to, you're going to have other FBI officials or Justice Department officials interview current Justice Department officials? Imagine you're working in an office and there's allegations of crime by people in the office. Should the decisions on prosecutions be made by their colleagues? Of course not, of course not. But that's what's happening now. So to have a special counsel with law enforcement separate and apart from the FBI doing the investigation. And it doesn't mean Durham's a bad guy either. It just means institutionally, we have to recognize the hurdles and stop pretending he's gonna be able to overcome them. Now, on the other hand, maybe I'm all wrong and, you know, Brennan and Comey and all these people will be prosecuted. Well, point me to the signs. Point me to the signs. I don't see it. And I tell you one thing, they're never going to be prosecuted unless we get the information out. And this is why Rick Grinnell's releasing of the unmasking names, it puts pressure on the Justice Department. Because you can bet Barr would never have released this. I just know. We've been pushing for the release of information for years from the Justice Department. This is not their style. 
This is all Rick Grinnell. But it's the release of information like this, and this is why we do the FOIA work we do, and we do the litigation we've done in the past, and we are doing now, is because we know that getting the information out makes it harder for the Justice Department not to do the right thing. Not impossible, because Lord knows they're quite capable of doing the worst thing. It may not be sufficient, but it certainly is part of the necessary component of getting uh, full accountability. Although the transparency provides partial accountability. Now Biden has, for instance, been caught in misstatements about his role in the uh, targeting of Flynn. Uh, Obama has been caught. I mean, you have Obama. Uh, I, I forgot the biggest piece of evidence highlighting Obama's personal involvement. He came out and attacked Barr and Flynn in, quote, a private phone call to uh, his uh, goon squad that was leaked. He said some basically factually baseless thing about it. He didn't understand how he never he never understood a perjury charge ever being pulled back before like that, which doesn't even, I mean, it's just too silly a statement to even push back on. I mean, under the Obama administration, perjury charges against people close to the Obama administration were ignored with the president's personal intervention in the case of Hillary Clinton. But for, for everything that's gone on, to have Obama pop up and, and say something nasty about Flynn, it further highlights his, that he has skin in the game when it comes to getting Flynn. And I don't know, I don't think Flynn's talked about, I think he has a book about it a little bit. But once this is, uh, once he's done with this, this uh, albatross around his neck, I'd be interested to hear why, what Flynn thinks about uh, the, what is the basis for Obama's hating him. I think it's because Flynn exposed the failures of the various policies of Obama internally, and he hated it. And he knew Flynn was right. And so he needed to be destroyed. Because remember, Trump was warned by uh, Obama about two things, North Korea and General Flynn. So he had something, he had something in it. And then of course you had the Obama, Obama Oval Office meeting where Flynn is discussed as well. So Judicial Watch is gonna be following up on this list. We're gonna be asking for more information about it. We're asking for more information about other unmaskings. And uh, I, hope, I hope this is the deluge in terms of transparency. And if I were the president, I would just double down on transparency here. In terms of getting as much information out there as you can. So uh, certainly that's what Judicial Watch is doing independently, but it'd be nice to go to court and have our, the agencies on their side of transparency rather than opposing and objecting to our efforts to bring transparency on the worst corruption scandal in American history, Spygate slash Obamagate. Um, well, along those lines, I guess I'll follow through. One of the reasons, as I said, we uh, <clears throat> they wanted to take out Trump and people like Flynn and freeze the Justice Department was to protect Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton is in the middle of a battle with Judicial Watch about whether she will be deposed in person, about her emails, and uh, more specifically now about whether or not 
she has to turn over her lawyer's record about the search and review process of her emails that led to the destruction of at least half of them, supposedly. Because uh, I know some people don't believe they were even deleted. So we um, had discovery granted to us uh, on this issue by Judge Royce Lamberth. He said that he agreed with Judicial Watch. It was time to hear, for, hear from Hillary Clinton and ordered her deposition. And Hillary Clinton filed an emergency motion. It's called a writ of mandamus. I was talking about one earlier. Seeking relief from the court order, saying the court order was needs to be overturned. Now, writs of mandamus are typically disfavored by the courts. And uh, you have to have really good reasons. And Hillary Clinton's reason is that she's too important a government official, even though she left government nine years ago, to have to be deposed by this. It's all old news and she shouldn't have to be deposed. Even the State Department and Justice Department thinks that she doesn't have a leg to stand on legally in that type of objection. And these agencies were defending her in the lower court. So they didn't even want her to be deposed to begin with. But once the court order issued, they thought her appeal was bunk. They didn't say it like that, but that's essentially what the gravamen of their position is. So she filed this emergency appeal, and now the appellate court has set a hearing on that for June 2nd. So we are going to be in court against Hillary Clinton on June 2nd before a federal, federal appellate panel, and uh, it uh, is a public hearing. Uh, I don't know if it's available online. I think they typically are now because of the coronavirus. They're not meeting in person, so it may be on something on YouTube. So as the time gets closer, I'll be sure to alert you to that. So we're fighting Hillary Clinton to try to get her deposed in person. And then we're also trying to get this discovery document that the judge also ordered be released. And it's a memo that we found that Heather Samuelson, one of Hillary Clinton's lawyers wrote about her uh, review and destruction of the emails. Of course, she doesn't say destruction. Uh, the email, uh, the document is a, uh, called the after action memo. And the court essentially said in a previous ruling that's applicable here, we think that, um, it, uh, you can't hide everything because she, the court recognizes it's a memo written by the lawyer. So there might be a privilege in some of the information in there to the degree it reflects uh, uh, an attorney's mental uh, processes or even recommendations. But, you know, the facts and details about what the attorney did are not subject to the type of privilege. Or their interest in that privilege is not outweighed by our need to know here. So um, the court said you got to turn over the document. So rather than turn over the document, Hillary Clinton is resisting the court order and saying we can't see any of the document, any of the document. So we had to file a motion to compel against Hillary Clinton with Judge Royce Lamberth. You know, and as, as the court found, and we remind the court, this is a rare Freedom of Information Act case in which the court determined that civil discovery is appropriate. On March 29th, 2016, he initially granted us discovery and we didn't get the details of it till recently, but the court said that there, where there is evidence of government wrongdoing and bad faith as here, limited discovery is appropriate. 
even though it is an exceedingly rare in FOIA cases. Well, frankly, it's not exceedingly rare anymore because FOIA has been upended because of Hillary Clinton and that misconduct. Government wrongdoing and bad faith. Hillary Clinton was head of the State Department when those emails were being hidden from us. Secretary Clinton claims that the after action memo is subject to the attorney work product privilege and exempt from disclosure, but she fails to explain what the memorandum was created in reasonable anticipation of whether, she fails to explain that the memorandum was created in reasonable anticipation of litigation, which is one of the key reasons you might be able to hold something back. She does not assert it was created due to the litigation here, neither does she claim that it was created in anticipation of any other specific litigation. Simply put, she does not demonstrate that the after action memo was not created in the normal course of the search and review process. So kind of a ministerial record, right? Second, the after action memo falls within the category of contemporaneous documents shedding light on the three narrow discovery topics. And those topics as granted as authorized by the court are, uh, did Hillary Clinton use FOIA to, uh, excuse me, use her email system to avoid disclosure under FOIA? Did uh, the State Department and company try to game the court into shutting the case down so we wouldn't find out about the emails? And thirdly, where are the rest of her emails? Were they all searched? So certainly an email or a memo about the review and potential, uh, obviously, destruction of these records is important on all those points. Now, Samuelson, the one who wrote this memo allegedly, was granted immunity. She's the one who worked at the State Department, became Hillary Clinton's lawyer, supposedly culled all the emails for, quote, personal stuff, and then deleted them. And the Obama gang gave her, discover, gave her immunity. We deposed her. And her deposition was something else. Because you know what? She told us that she was in fact aware that Clinton used email while she was Secretary of State. You know what she told the FBI? She did not become aware of Clinton's use of private email account server until she was serving as Clinton's personal attorney. Is Samuelson under investigation? Justice Department has this information. They were there at the, they were there during the testimony, folks. Is Samuelson under investigation for lying? I don't know. But they want to hide her memo. Hillary Clinton does. And isn't it interesting? Hillary Clinton is suggesting she can't give us this memo because it's a returning work product written in anticipation of litigation. Then why did she destroy all those emails if they thought there was pending litigation? She doesn't explain that. Why didn't she preserve all the emails? You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, I was anticipating litigation and then destroy records responsive to any reasonable litigation that you could foresee. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with her deposition. I don't know what's, I, I mean, I suspect Judge Lamberth is going to require at least some material be turned over to us here. At the appellate court, who knows what will happen. As I said, this is an extraordinary emergency case. Typically, it would be cast aside, in my view, rather quickly, or, or she wouldn't have a leg to stand on, but it's Hillary Clinton. So even though we had this big victory that Hillary Clinton has to be deposed under oath, 
even though then she went with this crazy appeal, she's Hillary Clinton, so she's going to get the time of day. And I don't, you know, she has a right to make her case. That's fine. But if it were any other plaintiff, any other person trying to seek protection from having to answer questions about this type of misconduct, they wouldn't be given the given much relief from the court. But we'll see what happens here. The panel, I said, will hold the hearing on June 2nd. But this is why, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe Hillary Clinton's nervous because she still thinks she wants to be, um, you know, I, I don't know if politics is behind this. Does she still want to be vice president or president in case Biden's mental health issues become, make it impossible for him to be the president? I don't know. Or be the candidate? I don't know. But they are very nervous about us questioning her. And if you've seen my uh, colleague, uh, Ramona Kutka, I've, I've talked to her a few times. We have a few interviews here online. Um, you can see why they should be nervous because Ramona is, is a darn good lawyer and she's going to ask good. She's going to be respectful and she's going to ask tough questions and try to get answers about issues that Mrs. Clinton's never been questioned on. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Now, the other issue, coronavirus. We've got the continuing crisis with coronavirus. Um, we've got major states still shut down. The nation's capital, it's announced, will be shut down to June 8th. So in all likelihood, you'll unless we figure out another way to do weekly updates, this will be the way you'll be seeing me for the next few weeks. But in my view, it's unconstitutional. I think many of these governors, especially the left-wing governors, are doing this despite President Trump. They don't care about the consequences to their state's economy and the, and the people they are responsible for. These policies are dictatorial. There's no reasonable basis for them. Thankfully, the Wisconsin Supreme Court pushed back one of these crazy draconian shutdown orders. You know, how long, does, how long does it take for an emergency not to become an emergency as opposed to, well, this is just normal? Because however unpleasant it may be, we can't do anything about the coronavirus in terms of eliminating it from our environment at this time. It's no longer an emergency. It's a fact of our lives, and we have to get back to our lives while taking, to, uh, taking into account the coronavirus and other risks to our lives and our economy and what we do every day, of which the coronavirus is one, however disturbing it may be. There is no more coronavirus emergency, but there is a constitutional emergency. There's an economic emergency. There's a liberty emergency. The latest numbers are 36 plus million people unemployed. Our economy is contracting. Businesses are being destroyed. People are engaging in civil disobedience in, in significant ways and protesting. We've got to get DC open. DC is still closed, our nation's capital. Unbelievable. It's going to be closed through June 8th. And I, I've said it once, and I'm going to say it again until someone pays attention. 
Susan Rice, the corrupt national security advisor for President Obama, who lied repeatedly about Benghazi, is on the head of the Reopen DC committee. He's sharing it for the mayor here with Michael Chertoff, who is a Republican. Why is Susan Rice anywhere near any government position of trust is beyond me, but it shows you the political nature of the shutdown charade. You might as well have Obama himself doing it. Our nation's capital is now under the control, practically speaking, of Susan Rice. That's not what the Constitution means or requires or envisions. And then you have officials abusing their powers to achieve policy objectives, using the coronavirus as an excuse. Specifically in California, we had Gavin Newsom spend $75 million in emergency money that he wasn't authorized to spend on illegal aliens or trying to. And Judicial Watch is sued in court to try to stop that on behalf of taxpayers. $75 million. We saw the temporary restraining order. Outrageously, the, the court in that case said even though we were likely to succeed on the merits, meaning that uh, Newsom had no authority to spend the money, that there was a public interest in illegal aliens getting illegal cash. I mean, do you under, can, think of the logic of that. Yeah, it may be against the law, but it's important that the people who aren't supposed to be here and are here in violation of the law get the money they're not allowed to get in violation of the law. If that's the case, why have law at all? We filed another case this week in Maryland, Montgomery County, which is the big jurisdiction just north of DC. So if you're looking at a map, well, here's, well, I guess I can't say, well, here's DC and there's Maryland right there at the top of the triangle, at the top of the diamond. It's right over the border. So it's wealthy jurisdiction. It has a terrible, terrible uh, sanctuary policies that have encouraged the release of rapists who are illegal aliens just to avoid uh, and uh, without telling ICE about them. It's unbelievable, unbelievably dangerous situation in Montgomery County as a result of their sanctuary policies. And the uh, Montgomery County executive and company, uh, uh, on again, unauthorized spending, uh, unauthorized um, in an unauthorized way is spending money or trying to spend money to give cash payments again to illegal aliens. The law requires that if it's, if you're going to give benefits to illegal aliens, it needs to be specifically passed by the state legislature. And that wasn't done in California and it wasn't done in Maryland county is doing it on its own so we were in court and the county moved it to we filed it in local court state court but the county insisted on moving it up to the federal court so we had a hearing this morning i was able to listen in it was a tele tele hearing i don't know what the court's going to do he should be issuing a ruling soon uh, on our temporary restraining order but the here the <laughs> the irony is you hear you hear the uh these uh, uh, leftists uh, who are uphold, uh, who are violating the rule of law talk about the Tenth Amendment that the states have a right to spend this money. 
to help illegal aliens stay here in violation of federal law. Isn't it wonderful how all these leftists become originalists? And of course, it's just bunk, but it shows you how weak their argument is. So I'm hoping the court rules in our favor, at least in part. So, I mean, there's really no one else doing this type of work, though. Justice Department should be doing it. They're, not, they're nowhere to be found. I don't know what the Justice Department's doing. Uh, and uh, But we've got this coronavirus crisis that is uh, hurting our economy. And I hurting, I mean, it's destroying people's lives. There are people who can't feed their children, can't feed their families, can't pay their rent, can't pay their mortgages, you name it because of these unscientific, irrational, and abusive shutdowns. I see uh, I, there was a, um, I've been tweeting out, I hope you're following me on Twitter because I do try to track this coronavirus craziness as much as I can. There's a, um, a, a gym owner in, um, in New Jersey. He and his colleague, his partner own a few gyms. And, you know, he set it up. He says, I, I got to open on Monday. I got to make a point to open. And he recognizes he faces uh, criminal liability from doing so, but he wants to make the point. And, of course, he's not doing anything inappropriate in the sense that he set up the gym in a way to, to protect the health of his patrons based on the junk science that we're being told about the virus. But he's trying to follow the rules. And his point is, why is it that you can go to a big business but not to a small business? Why is it okay to go into Walmart but not okay to go into a local gym or a hairdresser or even a local small toy store? Why? There's no rhyme or reason to it. And it's just arbitrary. It's the kind of the very definition of arbitrary power. And that's not the rule of law. So the people are rising up. Many governors are responding, but many more aren't. And it's those governors that are going to tear the rest of the country down. And this is why I think the president needs to intervene. Judicial Watch is looking for legal issues to pursue as well. We're investigating, obviously, through the Freedom Information Act and other stats, but we may take more direct action. Big victory in Wisconsin. I encourage you to go read the Wisconsin decision. Maybe we'll post it here in the comment section. But it shows you that, you know, the same attitude that led to, in my view, them spying on innocent Americans and trying to put an innocent man in jail. You say, well, how could it, you know, how could that happen? Well, it's happening all over the country now. They're trying to put, quote, innocent people in jail for trying to feed their families, go out for a walk with their children, play in the park. So it can happen to you. So that's what we're here trying to fight. So I appreciate your time and attention. I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. We've got more information coming out, more lawsuits being filed. So be sure to tune in next week because I think we got a big update for you next week as well. So I, I know what we're planning, so it will be big, believe me. I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thank you again. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. 
Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.